There's absolutely no doubt. Former Brooklyn Center, Minnesota police officer Kim Potter shot and killed Dante Wright. Was it an honest mistake? Famed law professor Alan Dershowitz answers that question next on the Glenn Beck Program. The Glenn Beck Program. You've heard me talking about MyPillow for years and how it's changed the way I sleep. Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow, fitted me personally for my own MyPillow because I told him, I said, I don't think I really like him. And he said, wait, I think you have the wrong one. Got me the king size pillow. It has changed the way I sleep. It will not go flat. You can wash and dry it constantly and it stays the same amazing shape. You fluff it once before you go to sleep and it's that way. Best of all, it's made right here. So you don't have to worry about, are they going to be MyPillows on the... The shelves along with the lowest price offer mike is also extending his money back guarantee trial until march 1st of next year so it makes a great christmas gift you can get the standard my pillow for 1998 originally 69.98 a 50 dollars savings and the king size pillow is 10 bucks more go and see all their rotating discounts over 150 my pillow products enter the promo code back 800-966-3117 800-966-3117 it's mypillow.com promo code back Glenn Beck program. Jeff Katz, happy to be sitting in for Glenn again today. Remind you, you've got to check out theblaze.com and glennbeck.com for all the information that you need to get through the day. I, I have to set the scene just a little bit. I want to flash back to the, to the 1970s. I think it was 77, 78. I was in junior high school. Nice Jewish kid, Oxford Circle section of Philadelphia. And I heard... There were a bunch of Nazis that were going to march someplace in Illinois. And the guy who was defending them was a Jewish law professor, Alan Dershowitz. Now, I I developed an unbelievable hatred for the good Professor Dershowitz when I was a child in junior high school. And I actually went to Skokie, Illinois. We traveled on school buses. Not an easy trip to make. In my later years, I'd like to think I've grown a little bit. I become slightly more educated and informed, and I realize exactly what it was that Alan Dershowitz did back then, and frankly, Alan Dershowitz has done throughout his career. And uh, I'm just thrilled that he is joining us for a uh, a couple of moments today, Professor. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for reminding me of, of Skokie. Of course, I hated the Nazis. I wish they would slip on banana peels and bang their heads and die. Um, but I also don't want the government to tell us what we can hear, what we can see, and what we can watch. I was not only defending the Nazis, who I hated, but I was also defending Martin Luther King, who wanted to march through uh, other places that found his marching offensive. So, you know, I've always defended people I despise uh, and defended the rights of people who I don't agree with. For example, even on Kim Potter that we're talking about today, I'm generally not a supporter of police actions and police overreaction and police shooting. I'm a criminal lawyer. I usually cross-examine policemen on the stand. I expose their misstatements. But when it comes to something like this, an honest mistake that anybody could have made. Look, you get in your car, you drive down the street, a kid jumps in front of you, and you slam your foot on the brakes, but by mistake, you slam your foot on the gas, and the child dies. Horrible, horrible tragedy. Not a crime in America. 
except mm-hmm. apparently in Minnesota if you're a policewoman. And this is a terrible, terrible miscarriage of justice. And then it was compounded by this vindictive judge, this lawless judge who denied her bail. The statute says you must grant bail if she's not a flight risk, if she's not a danger to the community, and if the appeal isn't frivolous. And you have to make findings. And the judge made no findings on that. And you couldn't make findings because, of course, she's not a danger. Of course, she's not a flight risk. And, of course, the appeal isn't frivolous. But she's in jail now, unjustifiably. Alan Dershowitz is joining us, talking a little bit about this uh, Kim Bonner matter. This is one of the things that I find so fascinating about your perspective, Professor, is that you're right. Your history as a criminal defense attorney. I've seen some of your cross-examination of police officers. I was a cop, and man, I I wasn't rooting for you, but boy, you you always knew exactly (laughs) what what you were doing. So the the fact that we are in agreement on this. so, So explain to all of us who are not brilliant lawyers and talented professors of law how can something like this which to me anyway is a miscarriage of justice how can this happen well first of all thomas jefferson once said put a problem to a plowman or a professor you're more likely to get a good answer from the plowman from the ordinary person (laughs) the person with common sense so don't put down anybody who's not a lawyer i grew up on the streets of brooklyn new york smartest people i knew were there Uh, in any event um The government concedes, the state concedes that it was an accident. They don't contend like some people contend, oh, she did it purposely and then just made an excuse saying she wanted to pull her taser. They concede it was an accident, but they claim it was reckless, that because of her experience of 26 years, you know, she never used a gun in all of the 26 years. She never, ever fired a shot, either from her taser or from her pistol. This is the first time she ever did it. And what the state is saying is that she was reckless. She should have known. Look, the taser is different. When you look at the picture, it's different. It's a different color. It's a different size. It's a different shape. Right. But she was confronted with an instantaneous life and death decision. Her partner was leaning into the car. There were pedestrians in front of the car. This kid who had a record of having a gun was jumping back in the car where he might have had his gun and putting his foot on the gas, which he did eventually, and ultimately yeah. uh, he was stopped. What if she hadn't fired? What if she had let him get away and he had killed three people? She'd have been put on trial for that. So, yeah. you know, when a policeman has no choice, you know, whenever you make a tough life and death decision, you could make a mistake. Right. And the law forgives mistakes. She should not be in jail. She should be taking remedial courses, maybe being sued civilly for making mm-hmm. the mistake, So she's being held, as you point out, without bail, which seems to be a violation of what the statute is in in, in Minnesota. Uh, I I, I don't know. This just sounds like something that happens in, I don't know, the old Soviet Union. You just disappear. You're held in prison. There are no real uh, charges against you. I mean, you're convicted of this, but but there's you're supposed to be released. So so is there a way for her to fight back or is that system in Minnesota because of Keith Ellison, I would say in some cases, just totally bankrupt and corrupt? Well, Keith Ellison is a very bad attorney general. He was a very bad uh, member of Congress. Uh, He was a good friend of Farrakhan, uh, Louis Farrakhan, the most uh, notorious anti-Semite in modern history. By the way, the second most notorious anti-Semite in modern history is Bishop Desmond Tutu, who just died and is being praised all over the world 
by President Obama, by President Clinton, by President Biden. Everybody is praising this guy, and he was a rampant anti-Semite. He talked about the Jews controlling everything and doing everything bad. He talked about the Holocaust being not as bad as as uh, apartheid. Uh, he he compared Israel to Nazi Germany. He's being praised all over the place. We have to start telling the truth about people with mixed legacies. But you know, let's get back to Kim to Kim Potter because the problem in the world today is people pick sides. If you're against Kim Potter, she's evil. You know what this? You know what the prosecution is doing now? They're asking for extra time. The usual sentence is seven years for negligent or reckless homicide. They want ten or fifteen because mm. they say not only did she kill right. She endangered other people. No, no, no. She tried to save the lives of other people, but they want to throw the book at her. They want to pile on and put her in jail basically for the next 10 or 15 years. This is Kafkaesque. This is not the way the American system should work. You're right when you compare it to Cuba and China and Iran and and Belarus, where there's no accountability. And the American system of justice, an honest mistake is not punished criminally, period. So so what about her attorneys? Are her defense attorneys doing the proper things? Or are they competent? I don't know. I don't know them. I know that they should be filing for bail immediately. And in fact, the statute says that when you file for bail, the uh, the application has to be considered immediately. And right. so they should be filing for bail. They should have filed for bail before Christmas. If I had been the lawyer, I would have, on the eve of Christmas, demanded that she be home with their family for Christmas. But they haven't done that. And I don't know. They may have a strategy. They may have a tactic. They may be thinking of the long term of, you know, making sure that they win on the appeal. But I would be, I think, doing it a little differently. And I would be more aggressive right now in trying to get her out on bail. Alan Dershowitz is joining us for a couple of moments, and what an honor and a pleasure it is to have him here. So, uh, obviously, the case is being appealed. I I know you don't do predictions, but if you did predictions, does this conviction get overturned? Well, I have to tell you, look, the killing occurred while the jury was deliberating in the Derek Chauvin um, case, and it was in the same area. Uh, Court of Appeals, it'll be six months later. It's a different time. If her name was Jane Smith and the case were in a different place and we Mm -hmm. weren't living in the age of uh, George Floyd, of course she'd be acquitted on appeal. But I can't make any general predictions uh, considering the fact that she is who she is and the environment is what it is. And identity politics has taken over from justice. You know, the Bible says to a judge, you shall not recognize faces, no identity Mm. politics. That's why we have a blindfold over the statue of justice. You can't peek underneath the blindfold and say, right. you know, black victim, white woman, uh, police officer. That's not the way justice is supposed to be administered. It should be the same regardless of the racial components, regardless of whether a person is a policeman or an older person putting his foot on the gas instead of the brake. We have to have a single standard of justice for all. If her conviction is not overturned at the state level, does she have an avenue to appeal that? Or does she have to get comfortable with the idea of seven to ten years in a state prison? Well, um, she does have the right to appeal to seek certiorari in the Supreme Court. Only a couple of percentage of cases are given certiorari. And she does have the right 
to appeal federally, but her best chance of getting a reversal, obviously, is in the state appellate court. So, no, she mm-hmm. shouldn't get comfortable, but she should understand that, um, you know, appeals are very hard. Uh, uh, typically, appeals are successful in criminal cases in less than 5% of the time. I'm lucky. I've won most of my homicide murder cases. I think I've won, I don't know, 25 out of 30 or something like that, something in that range. Um, So it depends who you have as your lawyer. Obviously, it depends on the facts of the case. It depends on the circumstances. But uh, appealing from a homicide conviction is, is always an uphill battle. Wow. Now, I want to thank you for addressing the Bishop Tutu matter as well. And and I just have to share this with you. And the last time you were on my show locally, I think I mentioned this. My son, brilliant kid. I've referred to him as our future litigator since he was about 18 months old. He could he could argue whether the sun was shining. But when Bishop uh, Archbishop Tutu passed away, I mentioned what what an unrepentant anti-Semite he was. And my son was all over me up one side and down the other. And I thought, but but you have to know the totality. It doesn't take away from accomplishments in fighting uh, apartheid, but 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 to, to pretend that he wasn't uh, what he was, it does a disservice to everyone. It does. And it also encourages people to good people to do anti-Semitic things and bad things because they'll get away with it. They'll be excused for it. It'll be covered by their good things. Look, Jefferson did good things. Washington did good things. Lincoln did good things. And some of the same people who are praising Tutu and want to build a statue to him and want to canonize him uh, are the ones who are trying to tear down the statutes of our founding uh, fathers. And so this is a good time to think about how to deal with people with mixed legacies. Tutu did some great things on behalf of his own people. He helped end apartheid. He should be praised for that. But he was a virulent anti-Semite. I mean, he said the most horrible things about Jews. And when he was called on it, you know what his answer was? I can't be an anti-Semite. My dentist's name is Dr. Cohen. You know, some of my best friends. Some of my best dentists are Jews. Uh, And, uh, you know, he just went on and on with his anti-Semitism. He was the most influential anti-Semite of our age because he impacted people like your son and my children and my grandchildren who think the world of Bishop Tutu. And you're entitled to think the world of him, but you have to know the bad along with the good. And when the bad is anti-Semitism... It can't be buried, particularly at a time when the growing anti-Semitism on college campuses and around the world. That's why I intruded last night on the Fox News when I was on on a different subject. I said, I have to take a minute just to tell the world the truth about anti-Semitism. And I've gotten some pushback on it. Some people have criticized me. Some people have praised me for it. But that's who I am. I will always speak the truth to power. Well, I uh, I'm sitting here cavelling, and I am uh, I'm most appreciative of you, of you taking a stand. Oh, I, Tell my send my best to Glenn, please. Okay, I will. And Merry Absolutely. Christmas, Happy New Year to everybody. Thank you, sir. Thanks. That is uh, Professor Alan Dershowitz, and the the perspective that he brings, I think, is so fascinating and so unique, and I'm so grateful that he could make some time for us. There's a woman who died, Sarah Weddington. You may or may not know who she was or what she did. I'll let you know in just a moment. It is Jeff Katz sitting in today for Glenn. It's the Glenn Beck Program. (laughs) 
If you're living with aches and pains, especially if they're frequent and nagging and relentless, I want you to take a moment and think back to the last time you really felt good. Can you even remember what it felt like? Now, here's even a more important question. What would you give to go back to feeling like that again? Maybe it would just be nice to take a stroll with your loved one or play with your grandchildren. I've suffered from persistent, crippling pain almost all the time for about five years. When I started taking Relief Factor, I took it because my wife made me start taking it. I didn't think it would work for me. Yet here I am today, virtually pain-free, doing the things I love to do, all thanks to my wonderful wife and Relief Factor. I love that it's not a drug, but it was developed by doctors, and about 70% of the people who try it go on to order more. Are you part of that 70% that can get your life back? Your first step to becoming pain-free just might be to order the three-week quick start for only $19.95. Go to relieffactor.com or call 800-4-RELIEF. Find out more about this offer. Feel the difference. relieffactor.com. It's the Glenn Beck Program. Jeff Katz, happy to be sitting in again today for Glenn. And thanks again to uh, Professor Alan Dershowitz. I forgave him long ago. Not that he's staying up nights worrying about whether uh, uh, Jeff Katz and uh, Hanover, Virginia likes him or dislikes him. I, I just, I've come to admire people who have a stand that that's sincere. I think it's one of the reasons that, that you and I agree Glenn is such a great guy. This is about our freedom. It is about our ability to speak freely. We don't need any protections to say, hey, good morning. Hope it's a nice day. Boy, those are nice shoes. We don't need protections for that. We need protections when somebody says this president stinks or that member of Congress is a terrible person. Or that senator is doing awful things. That's when we need protection. And you make no mistake about this. Whether it is what we call cancel culture. Or the folks at CNN or MSNBC or any of these other outlets who, who quite frankly, have declared war on anybody who disagrees with them. They started in recent history with former President Trump. You and I saw it day after day after day trying to delegitimize President Trump, trying to stymie President Trump, trying to kneecap President Trump every single opportunity that they had. And make no mistake, it wasn't just an attack on Donald Trump. That's an attack on every American. Every one of us who went and cast a ballot said, you know, I've seen all the career politicians. I've seen it my whole flipping life. And every time there's an election, I hear the same. It's the most important election of all time. Most important election of all time. And then they get back and they do exactly the same stuff. And then they have the nerve to come to me. Hi, we're, we're calling from your local political party. Pick one. I don't care. Uh, we'd like some money from you. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. I'm keeping my money for my family. I'm keeping my money so that I can, I don't know buy something or donate. Oh, God forbid, right? I, I like charity. That's what we need protections from. Our ability to stand up and say, this is what I believe and you're not going to silence me. And you're not going to cancel me. But that's what is happening every single solitary day. I mean, these attacks on former President Trump continue. They are that terrified 
that he is going to run again. They are that scared that 80 million Americans who voted for him will vote for him again. I don't care which which side of the aisle you, you find yourself on. I really don't. I don't. Believe what you believe. Vote whichever way you want to vote. Do what's right for you and your family. But don't deny those 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 rights to other people. Don't cancel everybody who disagrees with you or says something you don't like. The woke culture's in it's insane. It's gone absolutely over the edge. And I don't know how or where or when that nonsense stops. Who was Sarah Weddington? I'll give you the answer to that in just a moment. Jeff Katz sitting in for Glenn. It is the Glenn Beck Program. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Ever since he tried the Rough Greens for the first time, my dog, Uno, has changed. He's a completely different dog. I hear from people all the time in the audience. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of letters have come in who have had the same experience with their dog. They've heard me talk about Rough Greens on the show. They get some from themselves. And as soon as they sprinkle it on the dog's food, the dog literally wolfs it down. And it's really good for him. It's not a dog food. It's just chock full of vitamins and minerals and probiotics and omega oils that you sprinkle. Your dog needs these things to be healthy. My dog was easy. From the first time he tried Rough Greens, Uno was in love. Some dogs take a little bit to get used to the new flavor, though. Dr. Dennis Black, the inventor of Rough Greens, was on the phone with me last week. He doesn't want that to be a reason for you not to try. So right now, he's got a special gift available. You can get a free bag of Rough Greens for your dog just to try out. All you pay is shipping. Go to roughgreens.com slash Beck or call 833-GLEN-33. Put it on your dog's food and begin to watch your dog become healthier. Your daily antidote to the socialism virus. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Join the conversation. 888-727-BECK. It's the Glenn Beck Program. Jeff Katz, happy to be sitting in for Glenn again today. Glennbeck.com, theblaze.com. I asked a question. Who was Sarah Weddington? It's not a name most of us know. In fact, honest with you, I had no idea who she was. Now, she died the other day. She was 76 years old. All right. You know, you you sit and think to yourself, well, that's that's good or that's bad or it's of no consequence to me, Jeff, because I still don't know who she was. So why do I care? Well, she was the attorney who filed the Roe v. Wade case back in 1973. Now, I don't necessarily talk a lot about this. I'm compelled to talk about this Sarah Weddington, though, and I'll tell you why. There's no question from what I've read, and I had to bring myself up to speed after I saw headlines that said, lawyer in Roe v. Wade dies. Because they didn't even mention her name in most of the headlines. I mean, that was the case, right? Roe v. Wade, she died. Okay. So I sat down and I said, you know what? I got to devote some time to finding out who this woman was. 
I just didn't know. I'd like to tell you that right off the top of my head, I could tell you everything about her. I couldn't. So I had to go and, and do a little research. She appeared to be brilliant. Apparently was an incredibly talented attorney. Students who had her as a law professor said she was a very, very good professor. Folks who had interacted with her as an attorney said she had a, uh, a very real talent and skill when it came to writing in the legal area. Okay. But you know what else people were talking about? I, 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 I didn't stop at the news reports. Kind of went online to poke around and just see what people were talking about in forums and discussion places. There were T people, I kid you not, without a, a shred of irony, not understanding at all what they were really saying, who said, oh, what a shame she's died. Oh, it's so sad that she died at such a young age. And I thought, this is the attorney who opened up these floodgates in 1973. If you would have come to me 25, 30 years ago, said, Jeff, what do you, what do you think about abortion? You know what my answer would have been? I don't. I really don't. I don't know. I, I, it just wasn't, wasn't something that I was overly concerned with. I, I wish I could tell you otherwise. I wish I could tell you, boy, I've always understood this or that. I, I didn't. I just, I, it just wasn't on my radar. And if you would have pushed a little bit more, oh, come on, Jeff, you know, like pro-choice, pro-life. Come on, which one? Probably 25, 30 years ago. Maybe a little bit longer. I probably said, well, I don't know, you know, make a choice, whatever. I don't know. Your body, your choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good for me. Okay. And then this interesting thing happened about 21 years ago. Heidi and I are married, and we want to have a family. And so we get the good news. Hey, congratulations. Heidi's pregnant. Okay. Now, I remind Heidi on a regular basis, and I probably shouldn't, but I do. She was of, quote, advanced maternal age. Anybody over the age of 30, apparently, was of advanced maternal age. Now, what did that mean? It meant, number one, I had a lot of jokes I could make, and I really couldn't make them because it, it would wind up in a very sad situation. Something would have been thrown at me. But the other thing it meant was this. Because Heidi was, quote, of an advanced maternal age, we had these regular ultrasounds. It's like every couple of weeks. So I remember the first one. And we went and doctor showed us the picture and I, I, I looked at it, and I thought, oh, I don't see anything. And then I said, I don't see anything. And then Heidi like hit me with her arm. And I'm, All right. But I don't. I don't see anything. And the doctor said, right over here, see? And I went, ow. I thought that was like, you know, somebody made a mark with a magic marker. Said, no, 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 that's, that's your child. Oh, wow. Fantastic. 
And I thought, meh. And then we go back a couple of weeks later. Now, now I can see where the little mark is. I was like, oh, no kidding. Is that like a, that's a tiny little cat? That's so uh, nondescript. I mean, this, I, don't, I don't get it. Okay. And then, I don't know, two weeks later, whatever it was, now... Now he looks like a bean. Honest to goodness, he looks like a lima bean. I'm, I swear to you, the kid looked like a lima bean. Everybody did that, right? In, in like third, fourth grade, same assignment given to every child in America. All right, here's a couple of lima beans. Now you go home and you get a glass and you take a paper towel and you wet it and you put that inside the glass and then you put the bean on the outside. That's what this kid looked like. He looked like a flipping lima bean. And I used to talk about it. I was so proud. You know, I was a first-time father. <laughs> There's a picture of the bean. And I called him the bean all the time. And then, I don't know, a couple of weeks later, all of a sudden, the bean has like little tiny legs and feet. And I think it's an eye. I don't know what it is. But it's clearly not a lima bean anymore. Not that it ever was. And as we progress and progress and progress, well, it's clear it's not a lima bean. And it's not a puppy. And it's, it's, it's not a phone. It's not an office chair. It's clear this is, this is a real, honest-to-goodness, little, living human being. And my world changed at that point. Completely and totally. I mean, you talk about a 180. There was no choice here. There was a child there. This was just something inside that said, you're a father. And you have an obligation to protect that child. And that's where I am now. I mean, Harry's 20 years old at this point. Long ago, stopped being a bean. And he's a brilliant kid. But I just think the, the contrast of people saying, oh, poor Sarah Weddington. She unleashed this horrible, horrible thing on America in 1973. But, but it's so sad she died at age 76. And you think about all of those people who could have accomplished great things. Maybe there was a, a doctor or a scientist who would have found a cure for this or that. But because of Sarah Weddington, they didn't. Now, I don't, I don't want to beat up on anybody. A, a family is grieving the loss of another family member. I understand that. But just like Professor Alan Dershowitz said a couple of moments ago when he was talking about Archbishop Desmond Tutu and his, his virulent anti-Semitism. What did Professor Dershowitz say? He said, it's the totality, right? You, you can't get away from that bad thing. It's part of who you are. I jump forward just a little bit. Heidi and I are still in the family creating business and we've got julia and i've shared with you julia's got a, a variety of challenges and special needs 18 years old now but that's chronologically developmentally about 18 months old so just as we're realizing about a year into julia's life oh my gosh 
we have no idea what's going on here. We really don't. Did we do something? What did we do, in fact, was our first question. What did we do? Why is she going to have these disabilities? Why is this going to happen? Why isn't that going to happen? What did we do? What did we do? What did we do? We find Heidi's pregnant again. And we go to the, to the doctor. And the doctor says, yep, yeah, you're, you're pregnant. And without missing a beat, without taking a breath, says to us, now, given what's going on with the other one, if you want to take care of this, you need to do it quickly. Now, I'm not the brightest guy in the room. But I understood what that doctor was saying. Given the difficulties, disabilities, challenges that the other one is going through. And that other one, by the way, would be my beautiful princess, Julia. If we want to avoid those sorts of problems, if we want to not deal with those sorts of issues with this one, we need to do something quickly. Well, that wasn't an option for us. And this one is now an amazing young man, 17 years old. I just think we have an obligation. I really do. And I don't mean to get on the soapbox or preach or bring everybody down. It's so maudlin, Jeff. My God, I know. But we got to care. We've just got to value human life. I just felt compelled to share that with you. Uh, if you want to uh, hit me up, you can do that, of course. You go to thejeffcatshow.com, thejeffcatshow.com. There is a, uh, a contact button there. Over on Facebook, look for The Jeff Cat Show. If you give me a follow there, I'd certainly appreciate it. Of course, everything that you need to know and about anything and everything, you're going to find at theblaze.com and at glenbeck.com. Jeff Cat's happy. Happy to be sitting in today for Glenn. It is the Glenn Beck Program. This is the Glenn Beck Program. The woke mob rears its ugly head in this country every single day. You know it. I know it. And increasingly, our kids know it, too. They see it when they watch something on television or YouTube. They absorb it in conversations that take place all around them. And maybe worst of all, they're increasingly being fed heaping helpings of it in our school. So what are we doing to fight back? It's important that you are talking to your kids about what makes this nation great. What can you use to help instill those values in kids? Well, a good book. That's why I love the Tuttle Twins books so much. They offer your kids an entertaining and educational look at American values and American history. They tell great stories, teach your kids about the value of limited government, free markets, how they work, and how they work to change the world for the better, and so much more. Get these books for your kids today. Go to TuttleTwinsBeck.com, get 35% off, and they'll even throw in all their activity workbooks for free. Buy them for your kids and your grandkids. That's TuttleTwinsBeck.com and get 35% off today. 
It's the Glenn Beck Program. Jeff Katz in for Glenn today. Did you ever show up in court dressed like an elf? No, of course not, because you are a sane, rational human being, and I'm hoping you've never actually been a defendant in a criminal case. But that's what happened over in England. And... No, I said an elf, E-L-F, right? Just came through the whole elfin season, right? Elves, very, very popular uh, during the month of December. And now, not so much. Uh, The story involves a gentleman, and I do use that term loosely, Janiel Verainer, 60 years old. He lives in Chatham. He showed up to his latest criminal court hearing uh, dressed as an elf. Now... Could be a joke, could be a goof, or he could just be crazy, right? Well, he's not just crazy, he's dangerous, because he's 60 years old, but guess what? He, quote, identifies as a five-year-old girl. And what has he done? He's gone around that area kissing little girls on the lips, repeatedly. In multiple locations, multiple girls. He's been arrested for this. He had a basically a keep away order. He's not supposed to be around children. Guess what? Continues to find himself around children. Continues to go up and just kiss on the lips. Random little girls that he finds. Oh, also a 15-month prison sentence. And his latest visit to court, he is dressed as an elf. Now, at some point, you and I have to stop indulging fantasies. He's not an elf. He's not a five-year-old girl. What he is, by definition, is a pedophile. And he needs to be arrested and prosecuted and sent to prison. Now, I don't know why we are so terrified of simply standing up and saying, how about doing the right things for the right reasons? How about protecting our families? Oh, the last thing I've got to share with you, Joe Biden has, in fact, conceded there is no federal solution to COVID. Can we uh, hear that little snippet from uh, Slow Mo Joe? Look, there is no federal solution. This gets solved at a state level. I'm looking at Governor Sununu on the board here. He talks about that a lot. And it ultimately gets down to where the rubber meets the road. And that's where the patient is in need of help or preventing the need for help. This is the same president who said, elect me and I will beat COVID. The same White House team that said it's all about presidential leadership. It's all about the federal government. And in a rare moment of clarity, and perhaps he just stumbled inadvertently into the truth, Joe Biden says there's no federal cure for COVID. Think about that, will you? Oh, somebody needs to tell Dr. Fauci, right? Hey, remember, stay in touch if you would. The Jeff Cat Show on Facebook and the website, thejeffcatshow.com. Thanks so much to uh, Glenn and Dom and Sarah and Martin for letting me sit in for a couple of days. It is Jeff Katz, and this is the Glenn Beck Program.